I'm Ken Hemmings, and he is Chris Lang, and welcome to another of these regular property briefings. Again, a warm welcome to you, Chris. Well, thanks, Ken, and how are you today? I'm very well. And I thought in this podcast, we might perhaps explore the sort of questions a commercial investor might ask when trying to choose a suitable property advisor. Where exactly should they start? Hmm. Okay, Ken. I haven't really turned my mind to that, but I suppose the place to start would be to ask them how long they'd been in the industry and, on the same vein, what their experience was. In other words, you don't... If you're getting advice from someone on commercial property, you want to know that they've done the trench work, that they've not just, irrespective of their age, they haven't just been in the industry five minutes, so that they have seen a few ups and downs. They're well experienced, both from the years of experience, but also the breadth of experience, so that it's not just the same repetitive type of property they've got a a spread across a number of properties a number of geographic areas and I'm not saying like the whole of Australia but in the area that you're specifically looking that they are pretty much an expert in what it is that they're they're able to bring to the table because the idea of engaging an advisor is to effectively multiply your time and expertise as a commercial property investor. I mean, there are two ways you can do it. You go ahead and and do the learning um, as far as technical stuff, you know, go do the university course on valuations and property assessments and so forth, then spend the time researching the specific areas, sifting through data and Obviously, more data available on residential properties than there is on commercial. Most of that's pretty closely held by the commercial agents and you can have it, but you've got to pay for it. So, you know, what you're effectively doing by by engaging a professional is to shortcut your learning curve. And they can cover a lot more ground a lot more quickly than you can. And the purpose of what you learn should be to understand their thought process, the terminology, the concepts that they're talking about so that you can have a sensible discussion, not question what they're doing in the sense of of challenging it, but questioning it from the point of view of making sure you understand it and so that when they present you with alternatives, you can make an appropriate decision. Now, they have to have had the experience so that when you ask a question, they don't hesitate. I mean, there will be times when they say, look, on that particular issue, let me take that on notice and I'll come back to you. But that should be the rarity. They should be able to spontaneously answer almost every question you ask them without hesitation. Apart from having sufficient experience, as well as being the right type, what else should investors be checking? Well, as I mentioned, you can go ahead and get the necessarily 
necessary qualifications and training, but you need to ask them what are their educational and professional qualifications so that you can make a, a gauge of their level of competency. Now, the younger ones now, to get a licence, are obliged to do a full university course. Going back a few years, you didn't have to do that. You could simply get a certificate of real estate administration. So most of them now will have that qualification. However, there are some people that go through the sales process and they never ever seek to get a full licence. They get an agent's representative licence and that enables them to transact real estate but not in their own right and they can never therefore become a director or partner within a firm. They'll always only be a sales manager. They may get an associate director status, but that's more name rather than in title or position. So it's important that you understand or have them explain what level of qualification they've got. Because, as I said, some people are just very good salespeople but they don't have the depth of of knowledge and training and experience in all aspects that that are probably going to place you in better stead going forward. So, yes, experience is important, but equally educational and professional qualifications because that will determine the depth of their knowledge and also the substance behind the advice that they're giving you. So in other words, there's a strong foundation rather than just an intuitive response. Perhaps another thing that would be worth asking them is how many downturns they've been through and also how would they help protect the clients against severe downturns? Because, I mean, some of them will have been through the global financial crisis, but that in and of itself wasn't a major catastrophe. It, it perhaps more became more so in Brisbane and Perth, but not so much Sydney and Melbourne. Whereas the property crash in the late 80s, I mean, prices fell by you know 40%. It was a sort of blood in the streets. So if you haven't been through that sort of downturn, you don't understand what style of property investment suffered the most. You don't know, you can't answer the questions looking forward. If someone said, well, what if there was a similar downturn? Would this property be a good purchase for me? Now, without that background experience, you can't talk in hard, cold facts. You've got to make an intuitive guess or estimate of what might happen, whereas if you've seen a particular style of property collapse as opposed to another one that only went down 10% because of the type of property or the type of tenant, you're in a much better position to steer them away. And I'm talking from an advisor's point of view, steer the potential purchaser away from that type of property because it's just not in their best interests. I mean, for example... If you're looking at buying a specialised property or specially designed property, 
that may be well let to a good tenant, but in the downturn or if the tenant leaves, it's going to be hard to find another tenant. Now, yes, the income might be good. The the tenant may be uh, at the moment fine, but in a downturn, that sort of property will suffer more greatly than a traditional well-leased office building. So that's important and some, something you ought also find out about the background experience and qualifications of your advisor. So now you're comfortable, your advisor knows what he or she is talking about. What's next? Well, I suppose what you, having decided that they sound as though they know what they're talking about, you need to know from them what steps they would be taking from here if, in fact, the two of you were going to work together. In other words, have them map out a program, you know, step one, that we're going to do this, etc. Then we're going to do such and such, and once you've done that, then so-and-so, and we've found the property, etc. So map out a, a step, and that's partly why I have that nine-step formula. So right from the beginning you know exactly the steps that we're going to go through, either you individually or we're going to go through it together so that each one is sequential, it leads logically to the next one and so that there's no chance of anything falling through the gaps along the way. And equally, you should ask them, what are they expecting from you as a client? because it's no good heading off in a direction anticipating that all the work going to be done by them. And then when it comes to things that you have to perform in a timely manner, you weren't even aware of them. You know, I mean, I've had some clients that early on where you embark upon a program and then all of a sudden you ring them and they find, you find they're overseas. They've just got no concept, you know, and so I made it quite clear... This is the time frame we're going to be in. When I do such and such, I'm going to need you to be able to do so and so. And therefore, they have a clear understanding of what you're doing as the advisor, what I'm doing as the advisor, and what they are expected to do as the client and commercial investor. So that each party has a role and each party knows what it is that has to be done and the expectation each can have of the other. And while we're on that vein, you might ask them to describe to you their typical client because it's important to know that you're not out of the ordinary, that you are, in other words, if they deal only with high-profile investors that are happily investing 20 to 50 million, and you're looking to invest 500000 to a million or a million and a half, you're not their typical client, and therefore you will probably not get the service that you expect, but they would find hard to deliver because they're more attracted and will obviously spend more time with those investors that are prepared or who are prepared to to spend the 20 to 50 million or, or whatever's involved. So 
it's a matter of just understanding that. And so I will map out the, I have four profile types, if you like, personas. And I do that because I like to, particularly when I'm, I'm writing to them, I need to be able to identify with who they are. Now, I, my four are the retired executive or business owner who have, has a reasonable equity and is, is ready to invest. Then I've got the executive that's still working. It might be, you know, legal firm, accounting firm or some professional basis or business owner. Time is short and they have access to loan funds but don't have the time or the inclination to necessarily go out and do it themselves. Then the next group would be the married couples, husband and wife, in the sort of 30 to 45 age bracket, both earning good incomes, starting to plan out for their future. And then interesting enough, I've got coming through now is the, the Gen Y group who realise they're not going to be able to own their own home readily. They don't have enough savings necessarily at the moment. However, in some cases, they're still living at home. They've got, in many cases, very good incomes. And they have the ability to to actually service debt well. So what I'm suggesting to them is if they're you know, buying an, thinking you're buying an apartment, why not buy a small office suite which they can get for the same sort of money, double the retur- net return, everything's tax deductible because it's earning rent, build up their equity and then they can move into uh, buying a home down the down the track. So those are the four there. You know, it, 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 it enables people to understand where they fit into the business affairs, if you like, of their advisor. For some people, it might be a one-off encounter with an advisor, but for most, wouldn't it probably be an ongoing relationship? Yes, look, I think... The idea is to have a program over a 10-year period of buying property. And so you're entitled to ask your advisor as to how they look after their clients on an ongoing basis. What what services do they provide? What communication do they provide? And so that it's not just, a, you know, we've done the deal, wrap it up, and, you know, if you need me down the track, give me a call. There's got to be an ongoing relationship and you need to know what that is. Is it reasonable to ask to speak with some of their past clients? Yes, you can certainly ask. It can be difficult in as much as that some clients, well, all clients, as far as I'm concerned, I will not divulge any details. You know, the relationship and what we've discussed and what have you is totally confidential. I mean, I might give examples without names in talking to people if, if they ask, you know, what happened, how do you cope with this sort of property? But most people are pretty private. If I was, um, if I was asked that question, I would not be divulging any names and details without first discussing with the the client as to whether they would be prepared to take a call. I've got 
a couple of clients that are, are more than happy to do that, but most of them don't wish to be bothered. They consider their affairs and, and what have you to be private. Where possible, I try and get people to volunteer or write a, a short testimonial. Some people even do it without me even asking and uh, more of a thank you and you know, appreciated how you helped in this area and I'm more than happy to make those available because they're intended to be for public consumption. But it may be a bit difficult to get direct access to clients from advisors because of the confidential nature of that relationship. I think what you've covered would have clarified quite a few things in our listeners' minds, certain aspects that they might have otherwise addressed. Well, as you know, Ken, my approach is to make most of this information available to potential clients through my various websites. So when they are ready to contact me, they're fully aware of my experience and what I've done. But more importantly, how I'll be able to help them with what they're trying to achieve. I guess the other benefit with your approach is that investors can actually carry out all their homework anonymously using the information provided on your websites before deciding to formally approach you. Anyway, all this has been most helpful. So thanks again, Chris. Well, it was my pleasure.